Podcast listeners, this is part two with Luke Aragani, Chief Executive Officer at Aracor. If you didn't listen to part one, I'd encourage you to go back because we talked about facial recognition, large language models, prompt engineering, use cases, differentiation that Aracor has, as well as how to avoid hallucinations or not. Uh, I think you'll find it informative and it sets the foundation for this one. Hope you enjoy. Thank you. To making data simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. When were you in Fortune? You mentioned that earlier. I think uh, 2021, December of 2021, like the oh, end wow. of the year or start of 22, but it was for Next 1000. And like top entrepreneurs or something. And those lists are, are fun or whatever, but uh, I don't take them too seriously. So um, I don't want well, anyone to yeah listen to it and then think too much of that. I don't over-index on it, but it's fun to get some recognition. <laughs> Hopefully it, it also equates to a few sales as well. It did. Mm -hmm. For so sure. what is like maybe the most common enterprise problem you're solving today? And then I want to go with the most interesting like the just way out there that people listening would go, oh wow, I never even thought of that. So the most uh, the most common problem is all these models are getting built, and there's no functional way to take them to production. They're getting built in a way that is amazing and inspiring, but as soon as you take it to prod, the whole company loses money. I don't want to speak to the exact numbers. I think Microsoft is losing every day, but I know it's in the millions. <laughs> and so, like they're like just to host GPT, right? And so there's a real practical problem that everyone has, which is there's companies like Microsoft that are setting money on fire to be AI leaders. And that doesn't make sense for everyone that isn't sitting on a $60 billion cash surplus, right? So mm -hmm. how do you build systems that are 90% cool, but um, a hundredth of the cost, right? Like how do you dial them back just enough to be useful for your industry to make money? Once again, how do we make sound decisions when there's chaos? And that's a hard call to make. And our team has been really good at taking some of these more advanced models and making them very practical to solve real problems, to make money. Um, we haven't been joining the, the same kind of veracity around like, well, we'll just set a whole bunch of money on fire and hope it works out. It's very 2000.com bubble-ish type thinking around hardware spend right now. So, same thing we're thinking here at IBM, 100%. I, I resemble that those remarks and that, you know, make it even feasible. I mean, even yep. the, these large language models, you chat GPT, you got to have like a data center. It's running data centers, many, 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 many. It's, it's just unaffordable just in that regard alone. So you've got to create a language model that works for you in your domain, et cetera. If you're, if you want control of it, you can do it. You know, like, like you say, you can have a, a large language model, like you use a chat GPT and, and get a portion of it, but uh, depends on enterprise. Most of the time I see that they want accurate answers. They don't want bias. They want a specific domain, specific, uh, you know, question and answers, as I said. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's a lot of opportunity. There is. And, you know, part. to your point, they should be calling their IBM reps and saying like, look, I could set a whole bunch of money on fire and then turn it all off tomorrow, which isn't good for IBM to have to buy a bunch of hardware, which isn't going to be good. And it's not going to be good for the company that'll have to let go of an entire division to pay for its costly spending. Instead, they should be calling IBM reps and saying, look, I'm going to be going up 20, 30% a month for the next year. And I need some kind of plan for this, right? So everyone works together. That kind of like level-headed thinking around like, we're obviously going to expand our hardware spend, but we want to make it so that it's tenable for a decade. 
not tenable for the next six months on a exactly. prayer and a, a hope and a prayer. So hopefully people, they, everyone's going to have to spend more on hardware, but just do it prudently. You talked a bit about your methodology earlier. What about, um, you know, if, if I'm a client listening, what should my engagement to your company look like? What yes. What's inside the walls and which is outside of scope? Yeah, and how long so, do I think it's going to take me to get my return on investment? We're a Spartan team. And we talk about return on investment often with clients, right? Uh, because we we have a, we have a decent sized minimum so that we we can basically exclude people that we know automatically we're not going to be we're not going to have any return for them, right? And so um, it's a, it's seven hundred thousand dollars, right? So if you're running like an e-commerce shop, you're like, I really want this great thing that that predicts the next thing someone will put in their cart. We have a minimum that just communicates like you'll probably never make money on us. We could build the best possible thing, but like you just don't have the revenue to make that happen, right? Um, and so once we get through that first conversation where people understand like it's going to be expensive, the next thing we talk about is, well, what's the problem you're trying to solve? And it's there's a, a lot of core focus on this because we'll get calls and people will say, I want to build a model that detects whether or not there's a screwdriver on a, on a work site, like something kind of like really specific. And you're like, okay, well, why do you want that? And you have to really unpack it and like, well, because there's been safety incidences with screwdrivers. Like, well, then maybe you want a model for safety, not a model for screwdrivers. Right. And they're like, yes, that is actually what we want. But sometimes during discovery period, we have to unlock that real value that they're going for because it'll dramatically change what our solution is. It's so like I said, we really sell different kind of thinking at our company, not just like, well, we'll build you a model. And so after that, we have we have three basic phases. We build a prototype. We do discovery that we just described. We do prototyping. So then we say, okay, let's see if we can build a model that'll do this because we can't always promise that it will. And then we do the productionizing part, which is a totally made up word, but everyone kind of knows what that sounds like, right? Like we take this model and, and yeah, that's a prototype and we make it fit your infrastructure. We are the people that you'll call and we'll work with your product people, with QA, with the development, with handover. We also know that we come pre-fired. One of my clients called it. It's the, the funniest term, but it's true. As consultants, you come pre-fired. And so part of it is also offloading work to people there. Knowing that there's like a team that will have to take over your work, we focus a lot on education as well because no one wants us to deliver a black box, which they'll never be able to maintain. So. We have these kind of phases of um, of investment where you can stop paying us and stop the bleeding, right? But if we do get it to prod and we do educate your team, it's because we're printing you know millions of dollars for your company. Like it makes sense for you. I'm curious. Out of every ten engagements that you go do a workshop on, how many turn into an opportunity that you actually pursue? Almost all of them. Before I had a min maybe it was 10%, 20% would actually turn into something. And when mm -hmm. I implemented a project minimum, um, uh -huh. that, that really communicated quickly in like a non-aggressive way. Like, Makes look, sense. it's, you, you're only going to find value if you think automatically that you could make money on this. And so it, it eliminated a lot of the people that had like a tiny budget to do something. It was a very big HVAC company, which I won't name that like engaged us in a big way. And as soon as we started showing them numbers on things, they're like, Oh, we, we can't do this. And we had like ramped up an entire team. This was several years ago. We made the mistake of like ramping up a whole team for them. And they were, they were expecting to spend $50,000 cause you know, this was back before everyone knew about AI being anything We're like 50,000 that yeah. doesn't cover cost for us. Right. And so, um, 
and so we've been trying to find ways to find the right customer for us because we don't plan on getting really big. We're never going to be like McKinsey or Deloitte or something like that. We don't want to be that big. We really like to be a focused team that solves these problems. So um, that solved a lot of those issues for us. What is your min? So well, if, okay. if, if you call us and you know that you can spend about 400 um, on discovery and prototype, because productionizing is a whole different problem that could cost more, kind of right off the bat, um, you'll know that, you know, hey, this is a team that we can afford and we think we can make money on this problem. And it also is fun for my team because it means that we get engaged on some of the toughest problems that have huge impact for customers. Um, I talked to the, was a regional CTO at UPS and he's, we, we solved this problem for him and we were at like 93% accuracy. I'm like, hey, you want to go to 94%? It's going to cost a lot of money. He said, Luke, every single percent that your company is able to get for us is like $12 million in money saved. Now, obviously we weren't charging anywhere close to that, but like for them, they knew like, Hey, well, we're going to put Luke's team on it. Luke's team is expensive, but like we make 10 X or whatever. Like we'll make a crazy amount of return based on what we pay Luke's team. So there, these are companies that really know how much every percent is worth. And they're able to dial in my team too, to try and go get them. Do you find a lot of companies struggle with not made here syndrome? Meaning they think they can do it themselves. We get called after that phase. So after they've failed, essentially? After they've failed. Yeah, I mean, no, I don't want to say that because, like, I work with very smart people at my clients. Like, they're these are not people that have failed, but they're people, I think, that have realized that the scope is much larger than what their, their team can burst on. I see. And they need a competent team to augment that. So they still believe in the technology, various reasons, maybe politics or otherwise, that they can't have the focus in the acceleration to get it done with the right ROI so they bring your team in. And this is where I get to poke fun at me a little bit. We come pre-fired, right? Like if you're a big company and you really just need to spike for a year or two on a very large problem and not have to hire 10 extra data scientists that you don't know what to do with after that time, we're the best choice for you, right? Let us come. We'll solve this big problem. You call us back in a couple of years when you have another big problem. Or for some clients, they have so many problems. They're forever, they're forever clients. We just jump from one division to the next, right? But the idea is simply like, you don't really want to expend that much on full-time employees to grow a division when there may not be that demand for it after this one project is done. How do you keep top talent with all of the rage going on? And how do you keep them from listening? Same thing you talked about earlier, where there's a lot of distractions. People probably trying to call them and say, look, come over and join us. We'll pay you X, Y, or Z. I'm sure you pay well, but I'm, there's yeah. always somebody out there that pays more. Pain, yeah, exactly. I was about to say, there's people that pay far better than I do, and my team knows it. I don't try to hide that. Um, I have very low turnover, and a lot of it comes to, um, I don't run a democracy. I don't think that's an effective way to run a company, but I allow my people to have say in the projects we pick and the solutions we have, and while I know a lot about many areas, I have specialists that I let make calls on things. So I, I build expertise where people come to us with maybe a moderate or senior level knowledge, and I will pay to send them to have them study for weeks or months to make them an expert in something. Without, they don't have to sign contracts or anything because all those things can get around. I'm, I'm really focused on people that they want to now use that expertise at a client. And so they, they stick around largely because um, I do value their input. They have a lot of say. They have so much ownership in these projects. And, uh, you know, we have some other policies like unlimited PTO and things of that nature that we, you know, we, we, we definitely think, I think contribute a little bit to it. But I think the big thing is the, 
the tenor, the the tone of every project is like, okay, as a team, how do we solve this? And I think that keeps people that are in a more engineered mindset because I don't think they really like being told what to do. And um, I just try to embrace that. Hey, what haven't I covered that you think is useful to share with companies or, or folks listening on the call? The future is weirder than you think. Like, uh, <laughs> well, I got a couple of questions on that before we lay. I wasn't yeah, done. Yeah, why don't we jump into those? That's what I'm curious. What, what What do you want to talk about? Well, I mean, look, I couple couple that, that you just already alluded to, and, and that is, so where are we going with all this? I mean, what is your crystal ball to tell you? I mean, it's been crazy this, over yeah. the last six months. Is it going to settle down and then we'll get back into business as usual, or is, is the future changed forever now and it's only going to accelerate? What's your, what's your point of view? What the pandemic has taught us is that both will happen. It's going to be forever changed and it'll become boring. Like there's a combination of these things that humans do, which is the world is going to change forever. And then we're going to acclimate to that fast, right? We're very adaptable species. It'll become the norm that things are completely bizarre. So uh, practically speaking, what that is, is the labor markets will be disrupted. Um, if, if anyone asks me today what they should get into, like if they're in school, it's math or art. That's it. Those are two areas where uh, we're never going to have an AI, at least with our current training process, what we train on existing information to be able to be better than humans at. They can create great facsimiles, but they can't improve. Uh, but if you're out of school and you're like, well, what do I do now? Try to become in the top 10% of whatever you're doing, or at least the top 25% of whatever you're doing. Because if you're right dead set in the middle, you, there's an opportunity that AI will at least be able to do whatever you're doing as well as you do. And I think that that's a good challenge we should all rise to, especially your listeners. If people are listening to these podcasts, clearly they're trying to make themselves better. I just encourage you to continue the journey you're on. Um, don't don't fall under the bell curve. What's the biggest blocker of companies adopting AI today? Um, hmm. What do you think it is? I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are. You talk to a lot of folks. Trust. Trust? Like I feel like... I, I, Yes. I mean, yeah. because particularly this hallucination, like I referenced earlier, it scares the hell out of everybody. So it's trust in the models, non-bias in the models, and actually trying to get it to production. You mentioned that earlier too, was is yeah, I'm no, going to invest all this money and I'm not going to be able to push it out. I um, I agree, actually. I think that that is a substantial blocker, if not one of the, the most. People do have fears around, is this thing going to hurt my brand reputation? Because it's hallucinating, right? Or... Um, is it in some way going to give bad information even passively like to, as part of a process and the whole chain gets poisoned, right? Like it makes a call and the call is hallucinated and then there's a whole stream of down, downside effects before it even talks to a customer. So yeah, both of those things I think are... I guess the concern there is I don't want that to inhibit customers or anybody out there from getting into the AI game or they're going to be a laggard before you know. Oh it. yeah. No, I mean, it's okay to be cautious about something and not be like, well, I'm going to throw the whole thing out. You know, like it's, it's about framing. There's this really old book written in the seventies, about it's called the structure of magic. And they had this great example early on. It's this little girl sits in a rocking chair and it breaks. Now she has this different ways that she can frame it. She can say all chairs are unsafe or all rocking chairs are unsafe or just that chair was unsafe. And I recommend, or I just, I want everyone to think about that framing. You're like, you look at these problems like, oh, hallucinations, but does that mean all AI is bad or all natural language models are bad? Or maybe just that one question was bad or that one situation was bad and try and figure out what framing makes sense for your business. If you're making literal life or death calls, 
you know, you, you have to be more secure, more safe than like, am I just recommending the best price for a used car? Right. What are the most important lessons you've learned in your, in um, your path with AI? It's been a while, 2011. That's a good, yeah. that's a good time frame. Yeah. So there's this telescoping evolution, which is every couple of whatever the time period is getting smaller to the next big thing that changes everything. And that doesn't sound profound because it's not, but it is still a lesson that I didn't quite believe, which is it's not, it's like Moore's law inverted. It's that the time is having to the next big, great thing. So it took, you know, 20 or 30 years of compute to get to 2010. And then it took, you know, eight or nine years to get to GPT three Right. And then three, three point five ish. And now it's, you know, taking, well, probably what took two or three years after that, before this came out, the next one will be in a year, year and a half, maybe six months from now, and it'll be compressing like that. And so trying to figure out not how to navigate every event, but like a, a strategy for how you navigate the whole change is better. In many ways, it's Darwinian. It's like, you need to get better at change than you ever thought you needed to be before. Could you say more on what you think AI is not very good at? I heard you say earlier yeah. mathematics and uh, image. And art. Or, uh, it's, so art, it's bad on original say. thought. Anything where you're like, hey, I really need original thought. And that could be business strategy, right? It could be mathematics. It could be art. But AI is going to be the best regurgitator on earth. It's going to be like a grad student, someone that came right out of academics and can speak to anything in academia, right? but really doesn't have the practical experience of having to navigate a changing environment, right? Or having to navigate any kind of novel situation. And so if you're expecting to build an AI model that'll generate art, expect that it's going to be average art. It will not create a new form of art that we've never seen before because of how they're all trained. Our whole concept on AI right now is let's look at the past to predict the future. That's been fantastic. Everyone's accepted it. But when you talk about generation, now you're saying, let's look at the past and create copies of it. And that's something to keep in mind. You're not going to have novelty after a certain amount of time. All right, I got a tough question. I haven't asked this question in let's a while, it. but I think you're going to get it. And if you don't, that's fine too. Because <laughs> I struggle with my own questions sometimes. Yeah, that let's is, hear it. Tell me something that's true around AI that almost nobody agrees with you on. <laughs> yeah, my tinfoil hat version. Um, I think that um, the greatest opportunity with technology and AI is to create more social environments. And I know that traditionally we've seen, quote, social media as an oxymoron because it's, created a, it's made a more antisocial society. I think that there's opportunity to use natural language and you know, visual classifiers to help humans be more social again. We talked earlier about this idea that like, hey, Al is stressed in this part of the call. Imagine if you had something on you that can help manage and tell you and teach you about other people in your network and how they're feeling when they're around you and what you talk about or your own emotions. So I actually think there's an there's a play here and I'm not sure if humans will take the play, but that we could actually make machines make us more human. And there'd that's, be a big market for that. I think there's a there's a future there. You got a third company brewing right now. <laughs> if only I had the time. So, <laughs> well, you got to like I mean. create yeah. a clone, dude. That's it. Just get a clone. Yeah, that's. You asked me earlier what I thought that the craziest thing that's going to happen soon. Digital clones yeah. are it. 
you know, like, like a clone copy of you. you know, there's going to be a, you'll have a digital little Al Martin you can loan out to people. That's how you speak and how what you look like. That's coming maybe two or three years tops. I think you're right. I think you're right. I already had somebody on the podcast that has its his own chat, just like WhatsApp or something like that. But it's with AI. It's about learning what how you respond to your your text, and it'll respond for you. So all you have to do is hit a go or no go, or ultimately just say, "Hey, answer for me." <laughs> the uh, the product company that's Lodi, the the facial recognition one. Right. Um, one of the things we're actually doing is allowing uh, a- allowing people to put their biometric information in, so that they can lease and loan it out to friends and family to use, or basically this idea of like there's a registrar of you. And because we're already searching the whole internet all the time to protect that, we're also a great place to be a registrar. So we're talking to certain celebrities and certain people that nice. um, that really like like for you, you run a successful podcast, right? Uh, there are some people that will really want to protect that, like who they, what they look like and what they speak about and how they speak and their voice. And we can search to make sure no one ever impersonates that. But more importantly, like, you might tell your, you know, your agent, like, yeah, sure, you know, you can use my stuff. You just got to talk to, you know, Lodi, this company, and they'll loan you the models and the, the biometrics on it. And so, in a way, we can be gatekeeper. But that's coming. That's, you know, we're already doing awesome. the gatekeeper part, but we can't force the world to start generating more Al Martins. But there will be that day. I agree. What do you work for in your free time? I mean, look, what do you work towards? Um, I work for my kids in my free time. I got three of them. <laughs> yeah, so they can 12, play with your microphone. Ten and yeah, exactly. And, and six, I, I have no free time, but I, I enjoy what I do and I really enjoy my family. So I, I really have no complaints. Who, who's a role model you have today? What's your number one role model not related to you? Uh, I, I guess I have mentors that I've worked with my, you know, for the last 10 or 20 years or so. And um, I'm not going to embarrass them by naming them here, but people that I've come across that were old clients or people I've done some business with, or there's people that'll call and be like, look, I know that you're wiser and they always start with, but I'm not. And, uh, that always is a, a funny way to, to get going on these things. But, um, I always make sure that there's people that can help me make human decisions, right. That are constantly thinking about bigger picture stuff. No one's, I'm not calling anyone and they're telling me how AI is going to look. That's kind of been my job for everyone lately. But there's a lot of situations where I'll call me like, is it cruel if I do blank, right? Like, is it smart? Is it competitive? Or is it anti-competitive, right? And being able to get really good feedback from people that'll tell me no has been a real effective part of my journey. Like I've learned that being vulnerable and transparent, I mean, that makes folks want to be, you know, to coach. And you can learn a lot from just listening to experts. Absolutely. Like you mentioned. Last question. Is there a book that you recommend most? Oh, man. Um, I wish I could. I I don't have anything off the top of my head. I've been reading uh, Synchronicity lately. But Synchronicity. outside of that, you know, uh, not not well, too much. That's okay. Well, thank you for being here, Luke. Yep. Ericor.com. A-R-R-I-C-O-R.com. Well, good for you, man. It looks like you've done extremely well and you're you're launching a, yet another company it sounds like probably with more to come fantastic man you're killing it and you're in a probably the best space there is ai um, i'm enjoying it i but you know i've really loved being here and talking to you it's been a joy of my morning well thank you so much for being here we greatly appreciate it folks listening to us on the on the on the airwaves please hit us on almartintalksdata at gmail.com 
We are always open. We're always listening. We're always getting the people that you'd like to hear from on. Thank you. And until next time, I'll see you on the podcast.